Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, Asher bachar banu mikol hamim, Venatan lanu et orato, Baruch atah Adonai, Noten Amen. Amen. Well, shalom. Welcome to the podcast for Parashat Teruma. I am here with the incredible talent. Come on. And we are here to just share some insights and to continue where we started from talking about Parashat Mishpatim. And there is all sorts of insights about 18, Chai, and Chata. And so we're just going to develop that out a little bit more and flow right into Parashat Teruma. So without further ado, let's get right into it. So, Habibi, if you would like to start with kind of where we went, uh, how did we get to uh, the 18 of Mishpatim? All right. Well, first of all, Mishpatim is the 18th portion, starting from Bereshit. So, you know, if you follow Rabbi Ginsburg or any of the, the leading, uh, you know, numerology experts and gematria experts you'll know that there's no um, detail that should be overlooked in the measurements of the torah in the spaces between the letters in the letters that appear uh, bigger than other letters in in the the markings above the letters the little crowns the jots the tittles and specifically the gematria you know the numbers and at the very base base basic level of just uh, people want to get started uh, just count the Torah portion there's a little trick I've learned uh, this cycle that you know we're here at Mishpatim uh, actually it was last week and it was the 18th portion so Take that number 18 and develop it out. Look it up. Find out what 18 means. What are the famous uh, mysteries of the letter 18? And then you can, uh, you know, Bezrat Hashem, get into the depth of that portion. Mishpatim in particular is 18. So the most famous uh, Hebrew word, uh, the gematria, uh, that's 18, would be chai. So that's where it all starts. Mishpatim being the 18th Torah portion of the year. And with that number, you know, let's get going, right? Right. So that's how we start out. We start out, we say, okay, we've got the, we've got the word chai. Well, there's, there's different tricks you can use to take that understanding to another level. And that is to look up a whole bunch of words that have the gematria of 18. And it's real interesting because everybody says chai, especially, uh, you know, when you have a nice glass of wine, you say lachaim to life. Chai is very powerful. But, you know, there's, there's, there's a balance in everything that Hashem does. There's another word that is not life that has the gematria of 18, and that is chata. So 
with, with that, let's look at what Chai means and let's look at what Chata means. Now, remember, we're talking about Mishpatim here, right? Right. Talking about judgments. So, Chai means life. It's easy. It's in movies. Um, you know, everybody says Lachaim. Chata is a verb. And it means to miss the mark. Chet, tet, hey. Chata. Or, no, it's a, what is it? Uh, Aleph. Ends with an Aleph. So, now you have life on one hand and missing the mark on the other hand. Two totally different things. Mm. Absolute polar opposites of each other. North Pole, South Pole type stuff here. And it's right here in Mishpatim. This is the, the portion where Hashem basically lays the ground rules. And, you know, he talks about um, there's, there's, a, there's a standard. If you're going to say Naseh Nishma, you're going to accept my Torah. Here's what that means. It's not all a big cloud of... Uh, smoke and, and pillars of fire and, and mountains that tremble. This goes down to your everyday living. Mm. And uh, now that we've established that, that there is there is a train of thought here of chai and chata. Now we have something that brings life and something that brings death. So, obviously, uh, you look at the number 18 and you can you can go down. What is what are multiples of 18? What is uh, what is a root of 18? And that's where you get the number six, six, 12, 18. Right. Right. So now you have three sixes that you can look at. Okay. And ev everybody knows about the mark of the beast. Everybody knows about the number six, six, six. And it's got some, you know. Friday the 13th evil flare on it. But really, that's God's number. Everything belongs to Hashem. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? So I don't know why we give the we give uh, the enemy all of this credit all the time. Oh, the enemy's doing this. The enemy's doing that. You know what? Maybe it's Hashem doing it. Hmm. Why don't you give Hashem the credit and let the chips fall where they may? He's got everything in the palm of his hand anyways. Right? He could not touch Job unless Hashem allowed him. Nobody wants to go through the valley of the shadow of death, but Hashem chooses us at certain times in our life to, to develop a faith with him. He will be there. He's not going to leave you or forsake you. He won't do that, you know, um, but he's not going to bail us out of hard times either. So the best thing to do is to assume the Selah moment, the Selah path of the mountain, and to rest assured that his rod and his staff will comfort us. He will never lead us and guide us. If he, if he says, come with me to the valley, I want to show you uh, how dark and how deep this is, and, and um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach you something, but you're going to have to trust me. You're going to have to hold my hand, and I will, and if you fall, if you can't get up, I'm going to pick you up. Don't worry about that. We have to come to that place here in Mishpatim and say, what's it going to be? Is it going to be high? 
or is it going to be Chata? Mm. Because the number 666 has a lot of many holy measurements. The Ark of the Covenant, the Tablets of Stone. There's all kinds of beautiful um, gematria related things in regards to 666. But all everybody knows about is the book of Revelation and how it's going to be the end of time, the mark of the beast and all this other stuff. Well, yeah. Yeah, that's what the enemy does. All he can do is copy. That's all he can do. He's not a creator. He's not the creator. Mm. So all he can do is find out, hey, what is Hashem doing? And then let's go try to pervert that. Right. Let's try Let's try to corrupt that. Let's try to steal that. Let's take that truth and twist it, leave a little bit in there and call it a lie. So he's a he's a master masquerader, you know, and and it's and it's on us to be able to discern that if we can get to the place where our tools are sharp enough that, you know what, when we see a nail, we go, oh, I need a hammer. When you right. see a screw, you say, oh, I need a screwdriver. That's that's the thing we have to do. We have to we have to get to the point to where, look, Hashem is in control. We have surrendered our lives to him. So what do we have before us? We have Chai and we have Chata. We could have life or we could choose this death. This we could miss the mark. We could we, we could sin. That's this will bring us death. But you know what? That's not what he wants. He wants chai. He wants life. So these are the blessings and the cursings that he sets before us. So what you do now, let's go deeper. Let's go a little bit deeper. And let's just look at the number six itself, since we know it's a multiple. And if you, here's another little trick. (laughs) It's amazing. What is in the first chapter of Bereshit? <laughs> right. I mean, I don't even know what to say other than everything should start there. When you're everything. studying every every subject, like like if we get into t- Teruma or a la- little later, we start talking about the temple. Guess where we're going to end up? Bereshit chapter one. We're going to be in chapter one, probably be in the first three letters or something like that, you know? <laughs> Because the very first letter is a bait, and there's two temples. So you know what I'm saying? I mean, it just goes on, on and come on. on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the sixth verse of the Torah is where he's separating the waters. Hmm. Now that's important because look what's look what's happened already. Here we've got mishpatim, life, death. We'd have a, a very clear delineation. A separation just from one little old number, 18. Now we have the sixth verse separating the water. So now we know that, that there is a separation going on in Mishpatim. Mishpatim is, is revealing a separation. And Hashem is not into mingling. You know that, right? Right. <laughs> you know yeah. what I'm saying? So he is, he's all about balance and scales and rights and wrongs and and he's just all about that 
So when you and I was talking about this, I was really excited because the word for, for water is mine. And I've always loved the word mine itself because it reminds me of Moshe's, you know, Moshe. Um, you got 40 mm-hmm. represented by the letter Mem. And, and then he goes up, he gets the Ten Commandments and he comes down. And you see him going back up another 40 days. It's just all right there in that word mine. That's why we say mine. Right. Water there. So when we say the heavens, you're actually saying the water up there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Wow. So you have mime is a word that is right here in the sixth verse after everything we've talked about already. And what do we have? He's separating these mime. And what does that mean? Well, there's a separation that's going on. What is being separated? The mims. Now, now here's something that's interesting. They're being separated by what? Now here, if you if you know a little bit of Hebrew, you know who is he? He is she, and me is who. <laughs> it's just it's just something you gotta remember, you know. Who is he? He is she, and me is who. And if you look at the word mime, the very first two letters, mem yud is me. So there's a picture here, and it's asking in the word mime, who is separating the two mems? Wow. Who is causing the waters to be separated? Who is separating in Mishpatim Chai from Chata. And the only thing we can come up with right now is the letter U because it's in between the two mims. Nice. So that's how we develop this idea so far. And then what I'm going to do, because I love to play ping pong, ping pong with you, I'm going to hit the ball back and I'm going to ask you to help answer what is the yud? Who is the yud? Well, all right. Come on. So suspend time for a second because the 18th word of Bereshit chapter 1 is merachefet, which means to hover or be suspended. Oh, come on. So that was something that I didn't really get to tell you about, but um, I was just kind of doing a little playing around over here. Yeah. And uh, that's what I came up with. So we have the Yud and Merachefet to hover and suspend. And we know what was suspended over the waters while there was Tohu and Vohu, while there was formlessness and void, while there was chaos, darkness, over the deep, the spirit of Mashiach, says Rashi and Ramban. They also say the throne of Hashem. And it says, this hovered over the water. The Ruach Elohim hovered over the water. So now, when we look at this Yud and the separations, now we're seeing a further picture when it comes to the 18, when it comes to the division 
there is one who hovers, one who is the spirit of Hashem. Mm. And then looking at the Yud from Midrash Tankuma, the Yud came from Sarah because Sarah and Abraham had their names changed when they left from their place, when they experienced separation. And when they were out in the wilderness, traveling, following the cloud, following the spirit of Hashem, hearkening to his voice so that every day was the day of Yeshua for them. Mm. You know, it's, it's so amazing that we're, we're encouraged and inspired by the words of the prophet Yeshayahu that we should be like our parents, our, 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 our father and our mother, Abraham and Sarah. Because if we really look at what that means, that means we're willing to die to ourselves every day. We're willing to separate from our birthplace. We're willing to go out into the wilderness to come to the voice of Hashem. And that when we hear his voice, that, that time and that moment, that would be the day of Yeshua. Because when we hearken to his voice, that's just what it is. So the name change comes in with a mission, a purpose, and also a brand new mazel, a brand new destiny ensues. Because Abraham and Sarah, before their name was changed, they were not to have progeny, and they weren't going to have any seed, and they were just going to have the souls that they made. And it was just kind of like, okay, Abraham's big thing to Hashem was, Hashem, you've given me everything, but you haven't given me a son. So what does it matter? I have no way to perpetuate this. And it's just kind of like, but your name is Abraham. So you will have a son. Mm. So when we look at that, the Yod that left Sarah's name went and complained before Hashem and was like, uh, excuse me, you just erased me from your Torah. You just took me away from Sarah. And so now I have no place to go. The son of man has no place. Oh, to lay his head. Oh, oh man. Okay. So the Yod is acting exactly like Mashiach, basically, because we know Mashiach is likened to a dove as Midrash Shankuma also brings out on a little-known tour portion called Tadzria, or uh, Medzora, Slika. And uh, there's a, a ritual that is done where two birds, one is sacrificed, and the other bird is dipped in the blood of the previous bird, and it's set free. And that water, the blood, and the scarlet thread, and the hyssop sprinkled on the person with leprosy, and they're purified. So, anyway, the whole dove thing and the dove flies away. It has no place to go, and it's off into the field. The Yod, who is the Merachefet, who's hovering, who is the Ruach Elohim, that's what's happening. So, what is the response of Hashem to the Yod, the Son of Man, is that you will be added at a future time to one who will deliver Yisrael into the promised land and that is none other than Hosea ben Nun mm. Hosea ben Nun is a descendant 
of Yosef. So literally, it's Hosea ben Yosef, which means that when the Yod is added to his name, it becomes Yehoshua, which is shortened to Yeshua ben Yosef. So our first Yeshua ben Yosef is Hosea ben Nun. Hosea ben Nun gets the Yod added to his name in Parashah Shalak and Bami Bar chapter 13, specifically in verse 8. And so when we look at what's going on, Hosea ben Nun, the first letters of each of those words, hey, bet, Nun, ha, ben, the sun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then the hey is no longer the initial first letter for Hosea. It is now a yod because it's Yehoshua. So now you have Yod, Bet, Noon. Those letters rearranged to the word Benny, which is my son. Yeah. So now you got the one who's called my son, who's going to deliver Israel into the promised land. And he, he also, before the Yod is added to his name, he is connected to another person named Hosea, And I was just messing around with the concordance. And one of the definitions for Hosea is salvation, is Mm. deliverer. And there is a line that says Hosea is the name of the last king of Israel. Oh, come on. And I'm like, are you kidding me? And it's like, yes, of course, I'm not kidding you. Uh, See 2 Kings 1530. And so on and so forth. And I'm like, wow. Okay, because the first king of Israel shall be like the last king of Israel. And the first king of Israel was Moshe. Hmm. Because it started in the wilderness. But then when Moshe died, the kingship was extended into Yehoshua. So literally the first king of Israel is Moshe Yeshua. Wow. And then Moshe himself later in Devarim says, one will come after me who is like me and you shall listen to him. And it's just kind of like, okay. And Mashiach testifies to that by saying, if you don't hearken to Moshe's words, then how can you believe my words? So Moshe and Yehoshua were connected. Uh, Parashah gems from a Rebbe, a contemporary, his name is uh, Rabbi Eli Melik, and he, in his commentary on uh, Moshe and Yehoshua, says that the kingship was never connected to the priesthood because in the days of Moshe and Yehoshua, when the kingship was officially kicked off with Melik Shaul, Melik David, Melek Shlomo, so on and so forth. <clears throat> so pretty much until Mashiach, the kingship and the priest, and all of that was separated. So what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that the ultimate king is Yehoshua, who is the one who has divided the waters. Right. And he is the one who is who we need to be connected to in order for us to be on the side of Chai when we are found on the side of Chata. 
And then to go where I was going with the prophet here, the prophet Hosea. So in Hosea chapter one, you see that Hosea is told by Hashem that he needs to marry an adulterous woman because that's what Hashem has done when he took Israel. And you think about that and it's just kind of like, why would Hashem do that? That just doesn't sound right. And first of all, that seems like that is Lashon Hara at its finest when it comes to Yisrael. Right. Because Hashem doesn't like anybody talking about his children like that, much less his wife, you know? And it's just kind of like, well, what are we talking about? Well, the thing is, is we're only adulterous when we turn away from Hashem. But when we're found faithful to Hashem, that's what the point is. The point is that Hashem is always calling his wife to be faithful, always calling his wife to return to him. Mm. So when I was looking at that, I was thinking immediately about Yochanan chapter 8, because in Yochanan chapter 8, there is the woman who is called an adultery, who would be pretty much for type and shadow or correlation to the adulterous woman that Hosea says he, or Hosea is told he has to marry. So when we look at this, not saying that this woman is Yeshua's wife, but on a bigger scale, knowing that Mashiach and Hashem are one, what we're looking at here is a picture of the interaction between a husband and his adulterous wife. So when this woman is caught in her adultery, she is caught in the epitome of chata, because adultery and idolatry are likened to the same uh, offense, basically. Right. And when you look at idolatry, that is the epitome of abrogation of the covenant, throwing off the yoke of Torah. So much so that it is said, one that who repudiates idolatry, who turns away from idolatry, who rejects idolatry, is considered a full full blood full born newborn born again born from above jew Mm. so what's going on here basically and so i'm looking at this and i'm like wow so the dividing between the waters is the difference between chai which is life which is blessing shalom life and good and chata which is sin so where do we fall with that depends on what are we doing? You know, are we actively committing adultery or are we erring to the side of life, making Teshuvah, or returning to Hashem and immersing ourselves in the waters? Right. So the last thing I wanted to say about this uh, before I ping pong back over to you is that the beauty of Yochanan chapter eight sends us back to Yermiyahu, Jeremiah, chapter 17, because it says that the hope of Yisrael is Hashem, which means extension Mashiach. So though we are people who are found in Chata, because again, we don't like Uh, being found out and we don't like being people who are called sinners and we don't like being sinners we should not 
desire to be sinners. Right. However, Yochanan himself testifies that one who says that they're without sin is a liar. But should we confess that sin, Hashem is faithful to purify us and cleanse us of that. And so there's this whole idea about constantly being in a mikvah. So when you look at Yermiyahu 17 with Hashem being the hope of Yisrael, the only hope that we have to be removed from chata, to be removed from adultery, and to be found as chai, to be found as a faithful wife, is through the hope of Hashem, which hope is the English, but the Hebrew is mikvah. And what is in a mikvah? Mayim. Mm. And in the mikvah, there are two waters, and they are no longer divided. And when you look at the two waters that are in a mikvah, that are no longer divided, the place where they connect is called the kiss. Oh. And when is a husband and a wife going to kiss? We say this phrase all the time, kiss and make up, right? Yeah. So in the, in the mikvah is the mayim that is brought back together via the yod, via Hashem, via Mashiach. And now we see that that's what we have to immerse ourselves in. That's what we have to constantly return to. We may go away for a moment, but the, the thing is, is we should hate that so much. We should be exactly like Hosea's wife and be like, man, I was once not loved. I was once called not my people, but now I'm called loved. Now I'm called my people. I kiss and I make up. Today, I hear your voice. You know, Hashem, I confess before you that I, I was in a place of chata and it was unintentional or it was intentional. We need to be very honest about that. And then through the Yod, we return to Chai. So, ping pong. Mm. Wow. <clears throat> Goodness, I don't even know where to start. <laughs> hey, I will say this. I remember us talking how the whole how we got on the idolatry i mean of the adultery thing was because and i should have said this before before i i tagged you in because <clears throat> when you read mishpatim you're reading it's it's like a prelude before you get to the canaanite nations like you need to know how to behave and how not to mimic them. So I'm fixing to give you my Torah and I'm going to send you in to some very precarious situations. Don't learn of their ways. Don't do what they do. Do this. Keep these laws. I'm going to turn you into a civilized society that has me as your banner. And if you look at that, you, you can easily see the idolatry of the Canaanites, the adultery of the Canaanites. And if Israel begins to act like the Canaanites, now they will have adultery and idolatry. 
So there was there's an overarching theme in Mishpatim that Hashem is basically laying the ground rules, you know. And so when you develop everything out that that we've developed, now all of a sudden you're asking who is the one that is uh, dividing the chai from the chata, the one who is elevated or lifted up. Well, and then that's where you came in and tied the Hoshia to Yehoshua. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where you, you really look at the story of Hoshia and you say, wow, I can't I can't even believe that story is in the Bible. Right. Where a prophet is told to marry an a, a, a whore, a harlot. You serious? And it's kind of tough. It's a, it's a tough story, right? Oh yeah. But but let's see here. Now, and let me ask you before I go on. Did you say that Hoshea Hoshia got a yud. Yes, and uh, Bamibar thirteen, uh, and Parsha Shalak. In Bamibar thirteen, so there's the prophet Hoshia, and then there is the prophet Hoshia who got a yud and turned into Joshua. Right. Now here's where I wanted to go. Okay. Because when you brought that down and you tied. The question is, who can push away the chata in our lives so that we can have life? Who can do that? The youth can. Only the youth can. Only the youth can separate the waters, period, in the subject. It's it's not going to happen any other way. Mm. Only the smallest Hebrew letter can push... (laughs) The Mims apart. Oh my goodness. Okay. So now who is that? Me. The Hebrew word for who is me. And that's the Mim Yud. It's right there. It's a question. Every time you see mine, Hashem's asking you, who's doing this? Who's holding these two Mims back? Who's parted the Red Sea? Mm. Who did it? It it you see there's this this theme is developed over and over again in the Tanakh. Who is doing these miracles? There's not a man alive that can do this stuff. Mm. So now you have this tie-in that the Yud is Yehoshua. However, before he was Yehoshua, he was Hoshia. And Hoshia is married, another prophet, Hoshea, is married to an adulterer, mm. a harlot. And that Hoshea was the son of Barry. What does Barry mean? My well. My well. So we need to tell our listeners about the Abarim Publications website. We got to give it to him. So, <clears throat> Abarim, Abarim dash publications.com. They don't have every word in here, but they have a lot of words. <laughs> and take a look at the word Barry. 
Now, this is the father of Hosea. So that's another thing that you've got to do when, you, when you're really developing out an idea or if you feel like Hashem's really got trying to take you on a journey in the scriptures, <clears throat> look it all up. Look at what the, you know, uh, who's who, who's married to who, who's the children, who's the mother, who's the father. Try to get the context, the layout of the story, the themes, the, 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 all the plot markers. Know where you're at. And then try to step back and go up to the eagle's view and take a look down and say, what in the world's going on here? Case in point, Hoshea is the son of Bari, which means my well. So, and Matt, as you remember, we looked this up, and we didn't obviously we didn't have time to talk about all this. Oh my goodness, Rabbi wouldn't have had a chance to talk, <laughs> <laughs> man. But here's what Abarim Publications they break the etymology down of most of the names in the Bible. And this guy, look at this, the etymology of the name Barry. It possibly comes from the verb bar r meaning to write on stone tablets. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or it's a derivative of Be'er, like Be'er meaning well. So let's go on down, and we're going to start looking at the roots of Be'er. The number one root verb is Ba'ar. And this says, describing writing on tablets of stone made clear and distinct. Mm -hmm. The feminine noun is be'er, meaning well, or pit. <laughs> How about that? So keep that, let's keep that in our mind. Okay. Now we're going to go down and we're going to look up another verb called brewer. And it says, it only occurs in Ecclesiastes 9.1. And over the centuries, several, several proper translations have been proposed. The Septuagint reads, my heart saw. While the King Jimmy version says, my heart declares. Mm. So we got one verb. Now this is all within Hoshea's daddy's name. What, what's he doing? He's making wells. He's writing on tablets of stone. Words that are clear and distinct. He's declaring his heart. Come on now. Here's declaring another. his heart. De he's declaring his heart. My heart declares. That's another verb found in Barry. Boor. Mm. Bet Vavresh. Now here's another one. Barar. So this root verb denotes purifying. Ezekiel 20, 38, cleaning or polishing, Isaiah 49, 2. Mm. Secondarily, it denotes the process with which this purification is achieved or else the result. 
choice or select men, tested and tried men and pure men. Wow. Huh? And I mean, you just keep on reading down here. Here's another one, Barah, as we know in Genesis 1. Bereshit Barah Elohim. God created the heavens. It means to create. And here's another one. <laughs> Listen to this. This is another root. There's there's several verbs, bara, bara, beit resh, aleph. There's an Arabic verb mm. that it's related to that means to be free of a thing. Sound. Healthy. In the Bible, our verb means to be fat. Wow. With a secondary meaning of being well fed and healthy. So like those who hunger and thirst for righteousness shall be filled. Right. But see, you got to ask the question, who does the feeling? <laughs> see what I'm saying? Come on. This is what I'm, this is what I'm talking about. You have you definitely have this picture here, Mishpatim. Oh, by the way. Yes. Just just to make sure that nobody can suggest. They may can suggest it, but it's wrong that we're crazy because we're not. Mishpatim starts with a mem and ends with a mem. Cool. Yeah. What's in the middle of those two mems? What is it? Shafat. Mm. And what does Shafat mean? Shafat means judgments. So who is keeping those mems apart? The Yud? How is he doing it? By taking those judgments on himself so that he can create a heart in you that can see and be clean and while he's being thrown into a pit, what's he going to do? He's going to turn that dry pit full of scorpions and snakes into a well that you can drink from. Wow. And, and what are you going to do when you're swimming in that well? You're going to read the tablets of stone. It's like a jacuzzi spot where you can just read the tablets of stone in very clear and distinct words. Because mm. you know who your father is. You know who your father is. He took the, he's the one that took the judgment. See, that's why I'm saying it, man. I mean, let's get down to the nitty gritty here. Do it. There ain't a person alive who hasn't sinned. And the nitty gritty is this, that, you know, the old saying, the devil's a lie. That's what they say. That's what you hear everybody running around town saying, mm. devil's a lie, devil's a <laughs> lie, what they say. But you know what? Really, if you think about it, it's only a lie if you know the truth. <laughs> huh? <laughs> if you don't know the truth, you're going to believe the lie and be damned. Because he's going to tell you that the judgment, you're going to be judged and those two memes are going to squeeze you to death and close you up and kill you. But that's the lie. The truth is there's a yud that's going to keep those memes from crushing you 
because you know good and well that he is too holy and righteous for you and me to ever receive that kind of light and life and power and love. But somehow, some way, he reaches down from the heavens and finds a way to give it to you. How does he do it? Through his Messiah. That's how he does it. Through the you, through the Yehoshua. Yeah, who is this Yehoshua? He's the son of Barry. That's who he is. Get you, son. Now, you just have to believe that. If you believe that, if you can find a way to crawl out of the cobwebs of the disbelief and faithless, adulterous generation that we live in and, and just clear out all the negativity poison that drips from the airwaves and electronical devices and computer screens and radios and TVs, if you can find a way to get back to those tablets of stone that are clear and distinct, then you will find Chai. Amen. Amen. Anyway, I had to get a little preachy there. I'm sorry, man, but I just get riled up thinking about it. <laughs> hey, no, no need to worry about that. Uh. So we're down to the nitty gritty. And here's where we swing right into or jump right into or fly right into Parshataruma. Oh, man. Because the thing is, you said something so beautiful. You said that where the snakes and the scorpions are, that is the well, that is the pit. And we can turn that into a jacuzzi. Uh. Okay, so uh -huh. this is what we're talking about. We're not talking about, oh, just believe in your heart and just confess with your mouth. Like, it's just, just you know, just love the Lord, all right? Like, uh -huh. we're not talking about that. We're talking about how do you literally cause the snakes and scorpion pit to become that jacuzzi? Because here's the deal. With the clear, concise reading and the understanding and knowing the truth, walking in that narrow path because the shofit is causing that judgment to not crush you. Uh. That's why it's a narrow path is because we're walking through that which is holding up that which will crush us. Right. We have to walk in that, which means that causes Ooh. some discomfort in our lives. That causes some challenges. That right. causes some purification to happen. Right. Okay, so this is why we go through our trials. This is why we have those moments of anxiety, those moments of like, oh, my gosh, like, I can't believe this is happening right now. It's like because if you really embrace it and because if you really cry out to Hashem and say, what are you trying to teach me? You're trying to get my attention. You have it. What's up? In the most respectful way possible. That's right. <laughs> Even though you uh, you have we have to fight our humanity. So. Before I say that, Pierre K. de Revy Eliezer uh -oh. and also the Targum on Devarim uh. talk about the tablets themselves literally is the jacuzzi. Goodness. Why did I say that? Because a mikvah is 40 se'ah in the measurement of the water that constitutes a kosher mikvah. The staff of Moshe was 40 se'ah. And the weight of the tablets is 40 say ah. Oh, come on. Okay, so 
if you're going to be with the man, with the staff, Moshe, who is the king of Israel, all the kings of Israel had this staff, by the way. Um, you can get with Hasis Baz on that, and Ooh. he'll throw you a few rounds. Hasis! <laughs> Shouts out to Hasis. <laughs> okay, so when you are literally in the Torah, you are abiding in Messiah. You are in that which is holding up that which will crush you. You are purifying yourself literally of sin. The Torah yes, literally saves us from sin. Yes, it does. That is, I mean, we're not talking about, oh, so now if I want to be saved, I got to be in the Torah. Well, yes, but the ultimate salvation is found in him who, who, who is a manifestation of the Torah, who is ultimately the manifestation of Hashem, who is ultimately the son of God, who is Yehoshua. Okay, so right. there's, there's way more than saying, the Torah is salvation, like break that down. And that's what we're talking about. So now where I wanted to go is the Hasidic insights from the Kehert Humash on Parashat Teruma. Because here's the thing. When you start reading Rashi, when you start reading Targums, and when you start reading the Zohar, and when you start reading the Tankum on this Torah portion, it's ridiculous because they're pretty much saying the tabernacle, the Mishkan, is the image of Hashem, and it right. is likened to a man, and it is likened to the world. It is likened to creation itself. Right. So I was trying to rack my brain on thinking, well, when an embryo is created, what, what's the first thing that develops? None other than the arc of a person, which is their heart. Because that's how you know that the embryo is alive, because there's a heartbeat. Mm. And the heart of the Mishkan is the ark, and that is the first thing Hashem said must be made. So here we are with a virgin birth in Parashat Teruma. Goodness. So anyway, I want to skip all that and go to chapter 27. Since we're getting down to the nitty-gritty, on verse 1 of chapter 27 in Hasidic Insights, it says, "You shall make and you shall make the altar. Now, remember that we ourselves are tabernacles of Hashem. We are holy temples bought right. with a price, right? Come on. So here we go. Let it go. The Hasidic Insight says, The outer altar was used for offering animal sacrifices. That's right. Animal sacrifices allude to the sublimation of our animal soul. Every part of us that is not the whole spiritual my mind wants to do the Torah, but my body wants to do the opposite. I want to do the things that I'm not doing and the things that I am doing, I don't want to do. Okay. Mm, this okay. is where the animal and the godly soul come in. Uh-oh. So, okay. So here we are. So we're taking that, that animal soul, the, the, the part of us that, that wants to do things that we don't want to do. Here's the, here's the nitty gritty down in the mikvah, turning this, the snake pit into a jacuzzi. This mm -hmm. is how you do it, right here. Animal sacrifices allude to the sublimation of our animal soul. Three types of animals could be offered on the altar. Three. And notice we talked about there are three sixes, yeah. three vobs. Oh. Well, the vob is also, according to the wisdom of the Hebrew Alephet, the vob is likened to a man. And according to the Zohar on the vob, the vob is called the son of God. So 
when you really look at what we're talking about here with these three types of animals, we are to emulate the one who is the ultimate emulator, the ultimate vav, the ultimate sacrifice. Uh. So it says these three animals, these three vavs are the oxen, the sheep, and the goats. Come and on. these allude to three varieties of animal soul. The ox is like the confrontational type who is always seeking to oppose directives of the divine soul. I know Ooh. I'm supposed to follow Torah right now, but you know what? I really want to do this, and so I'm going to. Ooh, that's my red head coming out of me. That's the ox. Put it on the altar. Red heifer. Right. <laughs> now, the next one is the sheep correspond to the conformist type who follows the crowd and is too weak to assert his divine nature if it oh. entails going against the tide. Goodness gracious. I know people don't eat kosher and I know everybody's celebrating all these other holidays <laughs> but I can't help it. Like I don't want to be the only one left out. I don't want to be the black sheep. Oh boy. I want to be the black white sheep. I mean the white black sheep. I want to be the oh. sheep that's not different from everybody else i just want to blend in like give me a sheep coat that's a lizard coat. that's a lizard that's, that's a chameleon a... lizard bro. oh my goodness that ain't even it that ain't even a sheep <laughs> okay so now that you got to put that on the altar too put it on the altar and by the way the altar the miss bayak is called the brazen altar yeah from the word literally brazen which means you're bent to sin uh so you got to take all this stuff and put it where wherever you're looking and turning, wherever you're getting distracted or wherever you fell off the wagon. It's like right there is where Hashem wants to meet us right there. He's like, OK, see right here. See this. See where we fell right here. Let's go right there and let's make a sacrifice. OK, bring yeah. that to me. The sacrifice in Hebrew is called Corbin, which means to draw near. OK, and that means also that the altar is the connection point between the Hashemaim and Ha'adits. So you really want to take the lowest point of where we fall when we sin, and that's where Hashem brings the highest place and connects with us. That's why, Yochanan chapter 8, again, I can't express enough. You saw that there. That animal was placed right there on the altar. Yeah. And she was told after that, go and sin no more. Oh, I guarantee you the next time she thought about doing what got her in that predicament, she probably thought real hard about that next time. And she probably was so transformed that she didn't even put herself in the same position that would lead her into that. She probably became the one of the greatest evangelists after that ever. Ooh, get you some. She probably was like the original adulteress married by Hosea, which was Rahab. Because remember, Hosea was transformed into Yeshua, and Rechab was transformed from a harlot into one of the matriarchs of Israel because from her descended about seven or eight prophets. Okay, hold on. Hold on. I just had a vision, man. Get it. You talking about this, you talking about the adulterous woman, right? John 8. Yeah. Here she is fixing to be stoned to death. Yeah, two mems about to crush her. Okay, and, and and what does Yeshua do? He gets down and starts writing in the dirt, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Sota. Now, ch now check this out. I look. I just looked up the because in in Genesis one six, 
it says that the firmament separates the waters. Oh, God. Now, look at this. The word firmament. And I'm telling everybody what I'm doing. I'm, I'm on Blue Letter Bible, and I'm looking up the root of firmament. The word is rakia. And it comes from the word raka. And what does raka mean? <laughs> it means to pound the earth with your feet. Oh. <laughs> to beat it out with your feet. And what does he tell the woman in Genesis 3.15? You will your seed will bruise its head by its heel, crush its head, and the serpent will bruise his heel. And what do you do when you walk? Your feet gets dirty, and it was that same dirt that everybody's feet was dirty with that Yeshua wrote in to save her. You mean he bara in the dirt? He literally, he literally took what everybody else was walking in, where they was going to walk in the chata, the judgment of her sin. He was walking in the life because he took her judgment and put it in the dirt and Ooh. said, every one of y'all is guilty of the same thing. Mm. That's what I'm saying. That's what the firmament is. You mean the he buried it? Separates the waters by the waters. So you can't crush somebody that you're guilty of with the same thing. Man. You can't call her an adulterer when you are adulterer. That ain't right. Right. Anyways, go ahead, bro. I'm preaching tonight, man. I don't know what's going on. So back to Yermiyahu 17, 13. In Come that on. same verse about the mikvah being Hashem, it says, all who abandon you will be ashamed and those who leave you will be inscribed in the dust. That's, oh, that's right. Because you have abandoned Adonai, the source of the living water. See, Hashem is Bari and Mashiach Yeshua is Hosea. <laughs> That's right. So anyway, anyway, you know, as you were saying that vision, it just really showed that he took sin and put it in the dust of the earth, which by the way, Hazal, 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 the sages. Man. Yeah. I, can't, I don't even know how I'm going to say this right now because I'm so fired up thinking about it. Uh, let it go. This is the importance of burying a corpse because any sin that we have accrued in our life is completely absolved when our bodies are buried into the dust. Wow. So, yeah. Anyway, when I'm just looking at the fact of this dust and the stooping and the inscribing and trans uh describing everything that we were guilty of and just putting that in the dirt pounding it out goodness anyway so may our soul be like dust to everyone and may hashem open our hearts to his torah 
Talk about atonement. Okay, so where was I? I talked about the sheep. I'm sorry, <laughs> man. I, I interrupted you. I don't. I don't even remember. It, I know. I know where I was. I was just playing around. Okay. <laughs> okay. So twenty-seven-one Hasidic insights. We talked about the ox. Talked about the sheep. Yes. Don't be conforming and don't be bullheaded. Right. So right. now, what's up with this goat? It says the goat corresponds to the stubborn type who brazenly refuses to budge from the preconceived notions inculcated into him by his animal soul. Mm. Brazenly refuses to budge from the preconceived notions inculcated into him. I'm about to look up inculcated right now. (laughs) We got to... We got to get the clear, concise definition of that. We got to borrow this out right here. So, one second. Got to do a quick little swipe of the screen. You know, it's funny being Shomer Man, like, I'm noticing the more and more I'm studying, I'm getting, like, like Iron Man in his suit where he's his screen, if you notice when they show his HUD, it always is, like, changing and swiping and, like, looking at graphics and stuff. That's right. You got to own it, man. So anyway, I kind of feel like that. But anyway, inculcated means to instill an attitude, idea, or habit by, oh my goodness, persistent instruction. So what are we saying here? Because inculcate is the way of victory for us. If you, like abiding in Mashiach, being mikvah and immersed in the Torah, you have to be inculcated in that, which means it is a persistent instruction for you, which means sometimes you fail, but you'll notice you begin to fail less and less and less and less and less. And you spiritually elevate and elevate and elevate your godly soul gets stronger and stronger and stronger. And your animal soul gets weaker and weaker and weaker because what whichever part of you that you feed that's the part that's going to gain the strength mm-hmm. so why do we daven so much why is there a bracha for everything why is there a daily aliyah why do we go to shabbat every after every six days and on the seventh day we go to shabbat because that is our path of inculcation and strengthening so that we can get out of chata and be bound and attached to the chai and Hashem chooses the parasha about the Mishkan, him dwelling with us and going with us and being with us to the end of the age kind of thing. He chooses that parasha to bring this out. Mm. So anyway, the goat gets inculcated by preconceived notions and refuses to let those go. And that causes us to sin. So this is kind of our, our stubborn I know I shouldn't do this, but I did it kind of sin mm-hmm. <clears throat> because we're not inculcating ourselves into the mikvah. We're inculcating ourselves into kata. Into so the pit. to the pit. So you're not enjoying the jacuzzi because of the snakes and scorpions. And might I add the pit that Yosef was thrown into? Cause that is my parasha. Come on. Um, that pit that he was thrown into, not only was it at least about 30 feet deep, but there were snakes and scorpions at the bottom of it. Yeah. 
So how did he survive the fall, much less being in there? And the sages say that it was because of the Torah, because of the light that shone around him, that the snakes and scorpions didn't touch him. The same thing with Daniel and the lion's den. Daniel should have died in there. Mm. I don't care if a lion just ate three meals. If you throw a man in front of him in a dark pit, he will eat you. That's right. <laughs> but for the word of Hashem. Now, so here's where the Kehot Humash just really starts going crazy. It says, slaughtering the animal alludes to how we slaughter and renounce our animalistic orientation towards life. Sprinkling the blood and placing the fat of the slaughtered animal on the altar alludes to how we reorient our enthusiasm and sense of delight to godliness. Burning the animal by fire on the altar alludes to the consumption of our animal nature by divinity. So that's where I want to stop with that because that's what's not fully ever, ever, ever brought out in the discussion of our help. I'm a center meetings. Mm. We don't, we don't ever come to the fact of, okay, I, I was saying I, I was caught red handed. I know I shouldn't have, or I didn't mean to, but what happens is that's the first step of, acknowledging Brukashem, you got your animal now bring it over here to the altar here's what you do with it you Three. renounce that you rebuke it as my brother say rebuke it come out you faust right I, you gotta I, do that and yeah. you gotta do it exactly like that you gotta That's, be like that because sometimes right. we love our sin too much that we're just kind of i rebuke you and you're like what i rebuke you do you because it doesn't sound like it so then it's like okay good so now you're on the altar that's that's how you got here okay brukashem here's what we do now we slaughter it there's a certain way you slaughter the animal you take the sharpest knife ever called a shahida blade and you cut the vein that has the most blood that drains out quickly oh okay and that's how you slaughter that's how you renounce and the way you do that is through mashiach yeshua because the way we slaughter ourselves to our sin shows how much respect and adoration and how much kavod we give to the one we call our husband, our redeemer, our savior, our king. I guarantee you, you will slaughter like that when you understand who he is. Then, after you've done that, it ain't over yet, though. That's what I love about this. Because now you got to sprinkle the blood and place the fat. And everything that caused us to turn to our sin, everything that caused us to enjoy our sin, you now take all of those elements and cast off the rider of, the, of those horses and you put new riders on it. You say, I'm going to find that same type of joy. I'm going to find that same type of turn in Hashem. Mm -hmm. And then it ain't over yet. <laughs> it says the next step is you got to put it in the fire. Yeah. Who is the fire? Hashem, Yeshua, Torah, Davening. That's the final step right there. And and that's how we consume our whole entire being in Hashem. And this is where it kind of seems like people think we're legalistic. People think we lost our mind. 
people think we're so crazy. And it's just like, you don't know, you don't know, you, you don't know. That's why you're responding like that. Because if you understood why I'm here, if you understood why I'm doing what I'm doing, you would have experienced the salvation that I would experience. And then you wouldn't call me weird. Then you wouldn't say people don't do that these days. Then you wouldn't say, what's wrong with you? You need to get some literal help because you're crazy. Nobody in the world does that. Mm-hmm. And you're right. Nobody of this world does that. But people in this world, but not of that of this world, we do that. Mm. In it, not but of it, yeah, we go. Go. <laughs> so that's all I got. And uh, so I'm going to hand it over to you to close us out. And uh, we can do whatever we need to do to finish out because – that right there was just that was that was I don't even know what to do with all that information. Hey <laughs> other man, than, other than walk in it because I want a jacuzzi. Well, if you broke if you broke the gold on one side of the court, I, I want to try to break the gold on the other side. If you don't mind, break it. Here's the deal. You said something earlier. You said several things that I I, I really want to tag, but for the sake of time, I'm just gonna focus on two of them. All right. Number one, you talked about the mikvah being the place where the waters kiss. Yes. Right? That's right. Can you elaborate a little bit more on that? Okay, so there are a couple there are two that's interesting. There's two designs for the mikvah. There's one where the the, the place of living water, because the only way it's a mikvah is if it has living water in it. So you have your regular water that you fill the mikvah with, and then you have your living water that literally comes from the sky, the clouds, nature, like you didn't manufacture this up yourself kind of water. Mm-hmm. And it, it's not filtered. It's not processed out. It is natural as natural can be. It's straight earth. Okay. Yeah. So then there's one where you can have it in a holding tank, beside the mikvah and there's a channel where it comes into the water that's already filling up the mikvah and there's a constant cycle in the mikvah so there's not just like it drains in there and it's like stuck it's constantly cycling and circling through so it's moving water basically okay but that's one design but here's the second design the second design is where the living water comes in from a channel and it's underneath the actual um, holding place or the mikvah place where you're going to like literally walk into and immerse yourself beneath that is where the living water is so there's water beneath the water and there are little uh, grates or perforations like little uh, holds or access points where that living water is going to come up and meet that upper water and mm. that place where those two waters come together is called the kiss so the kiss is all about the the natural not living water processed out filtered whatever water but then that divine um, just natural you know living water coming together and they're meeting in the middle and that's the place called the mikvah Mikvah literally means a collection of waters. Sorry, I got to grab the mic real quick. The gematria of Mikvah is 156, which is the gematria of Yosef, which is the gematria of your commandments. So whenever we're following Hashem's commandments, that's the Mikvah. 
And it also one plus five plus six is 12. And 12 is called the 12 tribes and the pathways of service to Hashem. So when we look at the mikvah, that's what we're talking about being in Yosef, Mashiach ben Yosef. So anyway, mm. that's the kiss. That's the mikvah. It's a collection of waters, place of purification. Okay, back to you. Okay. <laughs> well, that's important. And I wanted to get that laid down before I, I get into this. Because, because of this right here. There was only one brother that did not sell Joseph. Mm. And that's Benjamin. Yep. And Benjamin, get my notes up. I want to read this to you. This is the Midrash Rabbah. Mm. Basically, here's what it says in a nutshell that the temple was built in the land given to Benjamin. And the temple is the point where the heaven and the earth kiss. Oh. The temple is like the neck of the body. Don't you remember when Joseph kissed his brother, fell on his neck? Remember that? Yeah. It So the temple connects... Or, or let's just say this, the neck connects the head with the body. Right. The temple connects the heavens with the earth. It connects the spiritual with the physical. It connects Hashem with man. Wow. And this connection is made... Through the mikvah of the temple. Mm. So I want to say this. I just want to. I want to develop just a. Just a short idea. So. And. I encourage everybody to. To look up the Hebrew. Of Genesis. Of Genesis. Uh, chapter chapter two and I'm in the last you know four or five verses of it but I want to read this to you it's really it's just really blowing my mind if you look at uh, let's take verse 23 here 223 what does it say it says, and Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of a man. Bone of my bones is etzem mets me. Wow. Now listen to that. Etzem my it's me. Did you know that inside of your flesh, you have the potential of the tree of life inside of you? Mm. Et is the word for tree. 
And we sing when we bring the Torah out of the ark every Shabbat in that. We say, That's what I'm saying. It's like, think about that. It's now, you, I just showed you from Genesis chapter 2, 23, that when Adam says, bone of my bones, he's saying, tree of my tree. Mm. Now, the question is, how do we get the life? Because when Joseph's bones, when his etzam were being taken out, he was in the ark. And the ark is the head. The ark is where the head is. And the ark has the Torah in it. And if you look, if you look right here in the same verse, it says, Isha zot lakak ish. Woman, because she was taken out of a man. She shall be called. Let me read it. Hold on. I'm going to pull the whole thing up. Lezot ikre isha ki ma'ish. The two things that man and woman have in their names is fire. Right. The woman has the hay, Isha. She has a word, she has a letter that man doesn't have, and that's the hay. <laughs> man has a letter that the woman doesn't have, and that's the yud. You take the yud and the hay out, and you have ish and ish. You have ash and ash, which is fire and fire. But if you take the yud out of man, and the hay out of woman, you have Yah. And I remember from a study I did several years ago about the third temple, that the whole, basically, the Ramchal says the whole idea is to connect in the third temple the Vav and the hay with the Yud and the hay. That's the whole purpose of everything. Because when man was created, he was created as a tree. But the tree did not have life until it was breathed into him by the breath of Hashem. Mm -hmm. And that is the ark. That's why Yosef's bones were carried in the ark. When Adam was made, he was made in the, in the dust. And the temple is designed just like his body. Man. And his bones were worth nothing until they found the ark. And how do we know? Because it says Hashem breathed into his nostrils. Where are his nostrils? That's the altar of incense. Ooh. Which is before the brain, which is before the ark of the covenant. So I'm saying, here's the whole reason why I say that is this. Because we're talking about the you. We're talking about who it is that separates the water. We're talking about the firmament, how he, he treads on scorpions. But the thing is, Yeshua made us a promise that if we follow him and if we believe, he said, you will. And I don't want to get all crazy here with this, but 
He said, you will speak in tongues. You will speak in languages. You will, I will give you a language that, that these people, they can't, they cannot resist. And what language is that? That's the language of the angels. That's the language of the Malachim. That's the language of the Torah. And you know what he says? You will tread on scorpions and you will walk on serpents. Why? Because that's what I do. And you're created in my image. And if you can believe this word, if you can believe it, your bones are actually the limbs and the branches of the tree of life. And why did I come to this earth? To connect your branches to the roots of Shammai. Well, all right then. So that's it, brother. As we always say, what do we know? <laughs> what do we know? Uh. That, that is a mic drop and a throat chop of epic proportions. Well, Habibi, it's been such a wonderful delight to Drosh with you. Amen. Oh, to our listeners, thank you for joining us for Parsha Mishpatim and Taruma. Woo. Yeah. And. We will index our time with the closing bracha of the Torah. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher natan lanu Torah temet, vechaye olam nata betocheinu. Baruch atah Adonai, notein ha-Torah. Amen. Amen, brother. All right. Todah Rabbah for having me, man. I love you, man. Thank Shabbat you. Shabbat I love you too. And may there be shalom and many blessings to you and your household and to our listeners as well. This is Shomer Man and Incredible Talmud signing out. Shalom.